Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. You are now entering a spiz-free zone. No unicorns, no rainbows, no chiropractic fairy tales, just progressive talk for progressive chiropractors. So buckle up and get ready. We're moving the profession forward. And now, your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Forward, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Podcast. My name is Dr. Bobby Maybe. I am your host. Uh, before we get started with our guests today, I want to talk to you about the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. We've got a bunch of things going on coming up in the near future. We have the Forward event which is in Kansas City at Cleveland Chiropractic College, June 1st through the 3rd. You can look that up and read all about that at forwardthinkingchiro.com. There are way too many speakers to even mention, way too many topics. Uh, Basically, we're covering three tracks. There's like a marketing track, uh, business and office procedures track, and then our bigger track is probably the rehabilitation and assessment track. We've got some of the up-and-coming stars of the chiropractic profession, Kevin Christie, Blake Kalkstein of ChiroSpark, a lot of the people that you've heard on this podcast already. Um, uh, Len Fay is going to be speaking in the evening, and he is going to drop a bomb on everybody. Um, so you don't want to miss that. And then after Len Fay, as if Len Fay wasn't enough, uh, finally we got Greg Rose, D.C., founder of TPI and co-founder or co-founder of TPI, co-founder of uh, SFMA to commit to being our keynote. He's our keynote keynote. So we have a keynote and a keynote keynote. And uh, so you don't want to miss that event. It's pretty inexpensive. It's worth it. And you can find out more about that at forwardthinkingchiro.com. Unfortunately, because I haven't been turned on to this guy until recently, we do not have this guest at Forward KC but maybe next year. Um, um, let me change directions really, really fast. You, so you were asked to join up uh, or speak at Parker. I'm assuming you didn't beg, right? No, no, they, they came to me. So, uh, which, I mean, that's why I told Bill, I said that, I never, ever would have been on that stage five years ago. Never, you know. <laughs> um, when you did this, and it sounded like the task was to bridge the adjustment with DNS, or was that your choice? Well, the the goal was to talk, to do like an hour infomercial on DNS, which is, you know, that's basically impossible kind of in a way. So then where I tweaked it was I wanted to, you know, kind of talk about things because you can't teach somebody DNS in an hour in that setting. It's just not possible. I mean, it it is kind of a a difficult setup because really, I mean, I asked who in there had been to a DNS course. I think like one or two people raised their hand. So, you know, you got a room full of a bunch of people that don't really know what you're talking about. So I thought it would be better if I could like make the connection for them that the same principles that would make you successful, like in DNS and uh, any athletic event, will also make you really successful in, you know, delivering uh, adjustments. So that was the goal of the talk to try to link them in in a kind of a weird twisted way. That way they listen to me and, and hopefully kind of conjure up some interest into DNS and taking a DNS course or take an MPI course or whatever the next step would be for them. The interesting thing for me as a person who was wandering through all the crowds was even though that was sort of uh, 
you know, I wouldn't call it accidental, but it was, it wasn't intentional at your point. It was just something that was necessary to be done. If we went a couple hours later to another room and we saw Tim Raven do his lecture, which was heavily research based on multifidus and EMG study of the multifidus, it tied into what you were saying. And then if you went to another lecture down the way and you heard what that person was saying, it, it also kind of tied into what you were saying. So the, the crowd, whether you know it or not, the crowd got this pretty uh, concentrated or at least agreeable message throughout the day. You know, that the- Yeah, the I, that's what, that was the feedback. I, it was interesting to get the feedback to hear like, you know, where it all fit in. But I mean, if, if I, when I look down the list of uh, speakers, I mean, they, they did it. He did a great job of getting like, I think influential people that, um, you know, kind of the movers and shakers in like this new field of chiropractor that, you know, I know you're a big part of you know pioneering. So, I mean, that is what we're trying to do is we're trying to take that 10% of our profession and just escalate it to, you know, uh, high, higher levels, you know, so. Well, we're not going to exceed probably the Pareto principles. We're probably not going to exceed that there's going to be a group of providers that are most definitely elite and then a group of providers that are not that 80-20 principle. But what you're saying is what I agree with. There's a 10% and we need that 10% to get to 20 or 30% of confidence, 30, 20 or 30% of excellence before we can really make a dent in this thing that we're trying to do, which is uh, announce on the scene that chiropractic is is new and fresh and exciting. We've got lots of different methods that can help people tremendously from an objective yeah, and I, sort of evidence-informed evidence standpoint. Exactly. I think, yeah, educating the patient in the right way, if we can do that, I think we all know we got the best thing going. And the problem has been that you know, as a profession, we educate off like real stuff that just doesn't make sense. And I mean, we have literally a thousand papers that have come out in the last 10 years to support what we do. So all we need to do is rally around what's already been done, basically. And I think we're going to be fine. It's just like we get off in these, you know, these offshoots to educating the patient on stuff that just doesn't exist, you know, whether that's bone out of place, subluxation, or, you know, it just kind of like, in my opinion, it, it holds us back, you know, like, so, and especially now, as I said, as more and more people are starting to, to learn manipulation, I, I get nervous that, you know, you know, that we're not like setting ourselves above the industry standard uh, because of that. So yeah, I, I 100% agree. Um, what would, what does a student get out of MPI at this point? What are they getting? Because I'm not, I'm not picking up that they're just getting adjusting and palpating and hands-on skills, there seems to be something else going on there at the same time. The goal, uh, is there like a, well, just is there my background, so I, I've shaped it a little bit because I'm on the board also for it. So okay. um, there's three people on the board. It's me, Mark King, and uh, Corey Campbell. And then, of course, it was started by Lynn Faye. So Lynn's been in the mix for years. So um, the goal is, at the very least, to teach our students um, a rational model of chiropractic, which is, um, being able to joint play or move whatever segment we're talking about. And then from there, get that information, then determine which adjustment would, you know, remedy the fixation that they, they felt. And then with that, I mean, we had, then of course, we're a little bit biased. We teach the adjustments that we think would best remedy that. But, um, you know, I, like at school, I'm like, 
you're getting taught, you know, 200 different adjustments, you know, from diversified to whatever else the technique might be. I don't care what you use. Honestly, I just want you to match that to the joint fixation that you feel. So, and that's like a really big disconnect in a lot of the schools is they're, they're taught a million different adjustments and the students know when to, don't know when to use them. So exactly. for me, my mission is, is I, okay, so this is, you felt that the, you know, C0, C1 is lacking lateral flexion. So this would be a great option for that or, you know, whatever the example might be. And I think that's one of our main goals in MPI. The second goal is um, to, we have like, we call them upper and lower dynamic classes where we go through rehab concepts, maybe neurodynamics, a little bit of MDP, a little bit of DNS. So we make an attempt to try to like put this all together for people because that's what they're really struggling with. It's not that they don't know, know how to do those techniques. They just do not know how to make that all happen in a 15 minute time slot, you know? So. Right. Well, can you make DNS happen in a 15 minute time slot? Yes, I do. Yeah. I mean, that's what I do. So I, I also have trainers who are trained in DNS and I mean, it just depends. So like if I'm working with a player at the stadium, I have, a half hour to 45 minutes. So let's just exclude that example, but it, it could be that, you know, um, but it, it, once you get, um, uh, you know, once you uh, take a couple courses, you're starting to get familiar with it, I think easily. So it's all about like being able to um, assess the patient. Well, that way, you know, exactly what you need to go, go after. So for me, it's, yeah. you know, a new patient, I'm going to try to find that portal of entry that I need to, you know, enter. So, of all their dysfunctional segments, which most people have a bunch of them, where do I need to start that's going to have the biggest ripple effect across the whole system? Yeah. Meaning like if you can get on that key link, then a lot of times you don't have to work on other stuff because by being on the key link, you're unlocking all kinds of other things, you know? So when I, I learned a really good, valuable lesson from uh, Levitt, I, I uh, followed Carol Levitt for a couple of weeks early on in my career and, uh, so he was at the time, he's probably 94 years old and um, he's just the best. I mean, he's just, uh, in my opinion, I don't know that there's been anyone better at, at like his assessment and palpation. And what's interesting, he's actually a neurologist. So he wasn't even right. like officially a chiropractor, but so he scours his patient who had cervicogenic headaches and he looks at me an hour later and he goes, the biggest finding was a trigger point in his soleus. So all he does, he pulls on a needle, dry needles, the soleus, patient's headaches gone. And we were there for a little bit, so we got to see the patient come back. Headache stayed gone. Saw him do this time and time and time again, just like, and what he was so good at is not being biased by the pain and getting after the exact key link. And that's like the true master in the world of what we do. They're not, they're not biased by pain. Like they're not in the orthopedic model where your shoulder hurts, so, you know, we got to do something with the shoulder. It's about really finding out what's wrong with the whole kinetic chain plugging in your intervention and, you know, and, and that's where it gets so fun because every case is essentially a puzzle. So like until you, you know, you uh, adjust someone's mid tarsal joint and see how it can change internal rotation, like then you're just left to kind of, um, you know, punch widgets, but then you start to understand all these different connections. It's just, it's, it's literally so much fun because it's like a puzzle all day long uh, that you're trying to solve. So. I've noticed talking with a lot of the these people we would consider masters, or I, I, I put them in my legends category, like Len Fay, and I've interviewed Stu McGill once, but I'm about to interview him in, in, a, in a couple minutes, actually. Um, and, and others that we would consider masters is they, they check the, a lot of their biases at the door, and they are just truly investigative in their approach.
um, without having to, they're not playing their system. They're working people through whatever system they have, but they left the biases at the door to just, to see, just to see what shows up. And, and that's a great way to approach things. Um, yeah, you just got to be, you're like a detective, you're like a curious little detective. But yeah, to that point too, I can always tell someone who's not in private practice because it's really easy to get cocky, you know, like, especially like from a stage, <laughs> people who do public speaking. Right. So, you know, if you're in private practice, I mean, you're getting brow whipped every single day. It's not possible to be cocky if you're in private practice, you yeah, know, just, I mean, just because yeah. you get humbled daily, you know. So whenever I feel like that cockiness or, you know, out of a, a, pre a presenter or speaker, I'm always in the back of my mind, like, no way they're in private practice, you know, because yep, you I just can't. I mean, you too, think you yeah. got to figure it out today, show up tomorrow morning and you'll get teeth kicked in tomorrow morning, you know? Well, that's what the students have to look out for is the people who are selling them that do my X, Y, Z program and you will have mastered it all. You'll come out with the same certainty that I do. No, you won't. <laughs> no you won't not if you're doing it right if you're doing it right you're gonna go through it and go wait what and then you might take away uh, a 10 percent or something a couple pieces there yeah there was a speaker Ooh, out that's there, right yeah and and he was talking about extremities and he was like this works every time and all i could think about was anchorman with the uh, sex panther cologne no it doesn't 60 percent of the time it might work every time but it doesn't work every time and uh, his what you know, you just smack him on the back of the shoulder blade and be like, see, there, it works every time. Like, no, no, I want to see that person in an hour and see how they're feeling and how they're doing. Well, there's so many variables in what we do. Like, and if your watch is broken, you open up the watch and you fix the cog that's not working and your watch works. With human beings, every host is different, you know, and I mean, yeah. everything plays a part in how you would, you know, uh, relay your pain to the to the Cairo. So, I mean, if you're an alcoholic or if you're depressed or you're you have three autoimmune diseases, all of this, you know, has an effect on how you're going to come in and, you know, say how you're feeling that day. So that's why I tell uh, my students, I'm like, really, the last thing you should do when you walk into a treatment room and ask them how they're doing that day because you're not getting a real fair representation of what's going on from a functional standpoint. Now there, right. it's going to come out at some point during that treatment plan, but it's also kind of an epiphany moment for the clinicians where you, when the patient realizes that that's not the only thing you're changing, then they kind of leave you alone a little bit, you know, like, so, um, well, I think a I lot think, of people uh, use that uh, as a, a rapport, like an icebreaker. Hello, Mrs. Jones. How you doing today? It's good to see you. Ah. That's nice. Yeah. But now you can't get that back, you know? Exactly. And then, so we have to even train our staff on it because if the patient walks in, a chronic pain patient, they're dying to tell everyone their story about their back pain. So <laughs> if, if our front office person says, How are you doing today? And they misconstrue that to mean, like, How's your pain doing that day? Well, then we just gave them a stage for 15 minutes to, like, only enhance their chronic pain, you know? Right. So, you know, you got to watch what you say. And, and I think it's like, uh, and I tell them, I'm like, all I can do is I can change the function of your body. And, you know, we can do other things to uh, improve your pain. But really, you know, my what I'm good at is changing the function of uh, whether it's the joint system, the muscular system, or you know, whatever it might be, functional medicine side of things. But uh, at the end of the day, it's kind of up to them. And I think like, that's a that's a good, good point for students, for sure. Which is funny, because a lot of the pain science folks are really uh, they're proponents of this sort of pain workbook approach. 
that you can go through. So, like, I am a junkie for pain science, but one thing that is driving me up a wall right now, literally, is the adaption model. So, I just want to give you a couple examples. So, if if we do a Tommy John surgery on one of our baseball players, so uh, for those of you who don't play baseball, essentially we're taking the ulnar collateral ligament and we're replacing it because they've torn it. We're replacing it with either palmaris longus or extensor, extensor carpi ulnaris, just depending on uh, who it is. So in five years after we've done the surgery, if we look under uh, um, a microscope, the properties of the tendon are now taking on the principles of the old ligament, which is insane. So my point is we have an amazing ability in our bodies to adapt to anything. So if I drink 10 beers a day, eventually I will actually, my body can somewhat adapt to that. That doesn't mean that that's a good thing for me. So in the world of pain science right now, you have, you have people saying, oh, you, you need to be able to adapt to anything. You should be able to squat 400 pounds with a flex lumbar spine and be fine. This is an insane thought, and this isn't that's an exaggeration, but what people are saying is not that far off. So I'm not taking anything away from the body's ability to adapt and compensate because it is it'll blow your mind every day to see how the body's able to do that. But that doesn't mean that we should just say, well, you're gonna adapt and compensate to anything or you should. I mean, that is a crazy thought. So it's like any pendulum that you see. They make Go the ahead. same logical error that other people make. The logical error is they start speaking in absolutes. You know, like yeah, all bodies exactly. are like this. All brains are like this. All people are like this. All systems are like this. All nerve, nerve or nervous function system functions like this. So as soon as you start speaking in absolutes, um, you are toast because the human body, like you said, and we said a thousand times, if not a million, it's completely different for everybody. It's an N equals one scenario all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly let's, right. let's go back to students since students are so, so on my mind today. Uh, and I remember being a student and it was a great time. And I also remember when I was a student, I was so fascinated how many people in my class wanted to treat athletes. How many people were athlete focused when we know athletes, true professional athletes are a very small patient population. And there's a large patient population of just people, humans, but of the ones that want to treat athletes, they look to you and you're doing it. Um, so they will want to know, how do I do that? How do, how do I treat athletes? Uh, is there anything that you have to say to it? Is it just luck? Is it completely skill? Is it a mixture of both? Is there a trick to it? Is it who you know? What, what would you say as far as these folks that are sitting out there saying, that's what I want to do. I want to treat professional athletes. I think everyone's got a different pathway. I mean, of course, like now that we, we, you know, when you read books like Peak and other books of like how people get to the top, um, you know, one thing is they do get a little lucky in their circumstances, but I would argue that those people give themselves more chances to get lucky. And then one pops and then they're good. Instead of just having one chance and they either blew it or they did well. Um, I think the other thing I would say is, you're not going to be the best in the world at what you do and have nobody know about it. Eventually it may take longer if you do it the right way, but eventually someone will, someone will find out no matter what, if you're selling shoes or, or whatever you're doing. So I think the advice that I give people, if they ask me that question is just start by being the best in your town, you know, just start with your patients today. You know, like, I mean, are you the best chiropractor in your area even, you know, 
And um, I think like over time, like in my example, I'm a pretty decent example because my practices and my, my first practice was in a tiny town called Moscow Mills, Missouri, which has like a thousand people. And it's like an hour and 10 minutes outside of St. Louis. So it took a while for me to develop my reputation to where like I was starting to get into St. Louis, you know? So um, I think that you start by just doing an amazing job and back to like, our typical 20 year old student right now, they, uh, and they're so much better at other stuff that, that I'm not good at. So, but, but like a lot of times they want, they want to walk out, make six figures and they want, you know, they, you know, they, they want all these things without doing the work and the grind that it takes to get to that, to that point, you know? So I would say that, uh, and then, I mean, not being too proud to like, if you want to get in baseball, don't be too proud to go to a little league organization or a throwing academy and just say, this is how we screen out our athletes and start, you know, gaining some traction there. And then, you know, work your way to the high schools and then the the minor leagues. And then, you know, the sky's the limit, I think really. Yeah. I, agree I think too, like, I mean, it's like, I'm in a position now, like with other teams and stuff, like I'm able to help out a lot of my friends. So like, if I know that uh, Bobby's in – what city are you in, Bobby? Portland, Oregon. The so Hillsboro, you're in Portland. The they Hawks. got minor league baseball there. Yep, Hillsboro. So, Hops. like, I mean, what's that? They have the Hillsboro Hops. And what affiliation are they what, – which team are they? I think San Diego. Okay. I'd have to check. So, yeah, so, I mean, now I'm like, okay, uh, we got someone in Portland. Do you have somebody in Portland? It's Bobby Maybe is who I got. You know, like, so – I think like if you wait long enough, I mean, either you'll get there on your own or your, your right minded kind of people are going to help you out along the way, you know? So it's a, it's a really a small, small world. I mean, it is crazy how small the world is, but it so, still speaks uh, but I'll, to, yeah. I'll share with you an interesting quote. I, uh, the diamondbacks were in town, um, a week ago and we went out with, uh, their staff, which they're also amazing. And Ken Crenshaw is just, such a stud and his staff I mean they're just awesome but he did a talk for some chiropractors recently and he literally said he said from the stage he said you know like if you're only doing adjustments right now like you're going to get left behind so I mean you, you know they're the people who are in the sports chiropractic you know you can you may not be the best in the world at FMS or SMFA but you at least know the lingo and DNS, um, soft tissue aerodynamics I mean this if you want to be in at that level, you're going to have to have a pretty good understanding of, of that, you know? Yeah. You're going to speak the language for sure. And, and you do. Yeah. Walk, I mean, like walk. you just exactly, you know? So, um, cause it, it can be hard to create space for yourself at that level because again, we're all pushing each other. So, I mean, the, the trainers might already know DNS. They might already know manipulation. They know soft tissue techniques. So, you know, you got to be able to create space for yourself. And, uh, and, it, and if you don't know a key link, then, you know, you're, that's not good. You know, like for our team, for example, so Rob Butler, who was originally at Duke. So he's now, um, you know, partly responsible for our, um, our performance. So we have like an SMFA FMS, you know, assessment in our, uh, across all levels basically. And it's not exactly what I do, but I mean, it's, 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 especially for a team, it's a good way to assess. And again, it's not exactly what I do, but I know the lingo and I can grab a patient if that's already been done or I do that. I know what that information means and I know how to, you know, educate the player on that, you know? So. Yeah. And you know, you know what it means at that point. So like when I was, 
team chiropractor for a minor league baseball team uh, in California, we were running through FMS screens and, and of course your, your pitchers <laughs> can't pass a, an FMS screen, especially the lunge and the squat patterns to save their lives. And a rookie would be like, Oh my God, they're failing these screens. What are we going to do? And then uh, an experienced person was like, well, you actually want that. You want that right. asymmetry. Don't train that asymmetry out of them, no matter what you do, or you're going to ruin it. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, uh, I mean, like, cause I think people think a lot of times, well, you know, at that level, I mean, everything's going to be good. I mean, no. professional athletes can be some of your most dysfunctional musculoskeletal people you'll ever see. That's not what they're so good at. They're neurologic savants of being able to recruit pools for whatever activity we're talking about, you know? So yeah, like they, they may be doing it through like a stiff joint or whatever, but they're still the best in the world at, you know, being able to use their muscles for whatever, whatever we're talking about. They're like math geniuses. A math genius is excellent at math, maybe a little bit of chess here and there, equations, getting you to the moon, but have them order coffee or go on a date. It's not going to happen. They're not going to be good <laughs> at it. And it's that same is, with athletes. You got to respect the genius that they have and, and not give them such a hard time that they can't be normal like the rest of us. Um, <laughs> oh, it's so true. I, I think, uh, Last year we counted up, I think of the 25 man roster. I think they said there was uh seven or eight, three sport, all state high school athletes within those groups. So like these guys, I mean, and girls, if we're talking about another sport, they usually they're so good neurologically that no matter what they touch, you know, a lot of times at that really high level, like <laughs> that's crazy. Common scenario is pitcher, quarterback, point guard, you know? Yeah, so right. they, they're they're just gifted but so i mean so for the rest of the world with really good understanding of neurology and things like that where can we push the average to, to better than average athlete and can we push them up into that next level and i there are limitations of course but i actually do believe that i really do like being around this stuff as long as i have now like i think if you create the right environment there's another pathway to be a professional athlete besides just Oh, I was born that way. Right. So the environment, it's just you like know, the we're environment talking about with the, everything. Just like we're talking about with the students, there's there there's ten uh, percent uh, that graduate into being elite chiropractors, but really to fulfill Pareto's principle, there's another ten or fifteen percent that's missing there. And you see athletes, and there's ten percent that can just that are just gifted people that can be they're going to be professional athletes probably no matter what unless there's some sort of life circumstance that keeps it from happening. But there's another 10 or 15% that could fulfill that Pareto's 80-20 principle if they are coached, trained, and managed properly along the way. Um, so if we, if we went into a chiropractic college right now, we went into try one or try two, and we found the worst adjuster in the room. Uh-huh. If for three years, if we produce a really good environment for them, they can definitely, without a shadow of a doubt, be the graduate as the best adjuster in that room. I, I don't disagree. So, I know. So, like, but what ends up happening is, so like, in my, like, in, if I teach a, teach a bunch of young students, like, automatically by default, the best adjusters are always, like, the formal uh, martial artists, essentially. So, you know, they already kind of have the neurologic skill that to be able to create an impulse which when you hear lynn talk i mean he'll tell you about the importance of being able to impulse when we thrust and um so that that is that is not easy to do but uh but anyways my experience has been 
when somebody sucks at it, like we can take them to the moon, you know, like they, they can definitely learn how to be good at it. Some people, they're a little bit naturally better at it and then others. They just got to work a little bit harder, but at the end of the day, they can get to the same point. Right. Right. Um, but the, the key phrase there is work in the grind. Yeah. Um, so we yep. have to end in, the podcast. And reveling way. in the grind, like yes. actually as thick and twisted as this sounds like enjoying it, you know, or as the Navy SEALs and, say, uh, you have to embrace the suck because it's going to suck for a while, but you have to embrace it and then you have to grind your way through it. Um, I'm on a 100% end. believe that's true. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how much I think what you just said is true. So We're like friends. We should do karate in the garage. <laughs> Can uh, we do runs. it while we drink wine? Yeah. <laughs> um, drop by uh, Ford KC if you have a chance. If you're not doing anything, just come by. You'll be my date. The, my uh, I heard you talking about, it. I think, uh, Jason Holm forwarded something I saw on Facebook. It looks like, man, it looks amazing on it. That uh, congratulations. That is killer. Yeah. Come, come by and give me some advice and, uh, and we'll get to shake hands like we didn't get to do in Dallas. So, is this the first annual or Vegas? I mean, yeah, this is the first one ever. Oh my God. How exciting. And it, your goal is to roll it out every year. That would be a very nice goal. Yes. The first one's got to work. <laughs> yep. Where's it, where's it being held at? At Cleveland. Yeah, they've been really good to MPI too as far as like we do, uh, you know, we don't have to rent a hotel. We can do our seminars at there. And yeah. Carl Cleveland III, he's been really good about, you know, being open to, to everything really. He's really he's really a joy to work with. Yeah, he's a nice guy. I've I've known him for a while. So he's he's worth uh, – he, he catches a bad rap, but he's he's a good cat. He really is. Him and Lynn are buddies too, so they'll be they'll be hanging. <laughs> well, you can come by. The Carl and Lynn can hang out, and you and me can hang out. But uh, for now, I got a hard a hard out because we got the uh, legendary Stu McGill coming up next. Perfect. If anybody wants to go, and I'm not pushing it, but anybody wants to go to Amsterdam, me, Stu, uh, Andre Vlimming, and Pavel Kolaj, we'll have our functional medicine expert there is doing a big movement symposium in Amsterdam, which is an amazing city. So, I think um, I've heard about that one. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be awesome. So, well, anyways, I will uh, not hold any more of your time up to talk to Stu. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Uh, this is probably going to go down as one of our better podcasts for sure. Uh, people are going to love oh, this. Oh man, what a, what a joy! It was absolutely fun. Thanks, Bobby, for having me. Yep. Yep. See you soon. All right. All right yep. Bye. bye.